the first place to start is, you know, starting to try and take a little bit of responsibility for uh, food and energy production, even if that's just, you know, growing a few herbs on a windowsill, you know, in, in my book, that makes you a farmer, you know, <laughs> I think we've got to break down this kind of distinction between, you know, this image of a farmer as sort of someone on the, on the prairies, you know, in a big tractor on thousands and thousands of acres, you know, we've all got to start taking responsibility for the food and farming system. So the first place to start is, you know, where am I living? Where does my food come from? You know, where does my energy come from? Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. Okay, so let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Chris Smage. Chris has co-worked a small farm in Somerset, Southwest England for the last 17 years. Previously, he was a university-based social scientist working in the Department of Sociology at the University of Surrey and the Department of Anthropology at Goldsmith College. Chris has written for various publications and academic journals. He also writes the blog, Small Farm Future, and is the author of the book, A Small Farm Future, Chris, thank you so much for being here today. You're very welcome. It's nice to be here. All right. So, Chris, maybe we'll just start with this. You know, as I was saying in the intro, you started in academia at a university and you were a social scientist. And then you and your wife decided to become small farmers. And I'd love to just hear what motivated this change for you and your wife. Yeah, I mean, I started off in, uh, as you were saying, in, in anthropology, sociology, I, I sort of had a, an interest in farmers and where they fitted into into the world. But it was a very sort of intellectual, academic sort of interest. I didn't really know anything about actual farming and actually getting your hands dirty. Um, but yeah, I was in academia for, for a number of years. And then this was sort of during the 1990s. Um, started you know it was the time when people started talking more seriously about climate change a whole bunch of other environmental issues um and a lot of them ultimately revolve around food and revolve around you know the way that we live in in communities and access our food so kind of um got interested in the idea of being involved in that a bit more directly and you know i was a kind of a i think of it as a bit of an early onset midlife crisis i was kind of a bit uh bit tired of just being in the lecture halls and the and the office so um yeah kind of a bit of a crazy plan of, of my wife and I we jacked it in and came down here to Somerset um bought um uh, uh, about 20 acres just under 20 acres of um grazing pasture and over the last 20 odd years we've um turned it into a, a you know fairly diverse small mixed farm with um lots of um you know we grow veg which we sell locally lots of people various livestock um various kind of interesting things going on um and um yeah i mean you know it's it's been fascinating and and, and exciting and fun but also really difficult um you know farmers at all scales and in all parts of the world um you know the challenges can vary from from place to place but essentially it's you know it's pretty hard um to make um, um a farm enterprise work as a business and so part of um part of what the book is about is 
trying to get my head around that and what are the issues there, but also looking at it in the context of all of these, um, you know, big um, issues that we face, big crunchy environmental and sort of economic and social issues that I think are kind of pushing us towards um, smaller scale, more localised farming, even though, uh, you know, at the moment it's, uh, you know, it, it doesn't look like a particularly uh, wise career choice, but I think that's the direction we're headed in. So, you know, I kind of feel like we need to get our heads around that. Mm. Yeah, you know, when I was when I was reading your book, I, I also saw a quote from uh, from Vindana Shiva right. on your book, it, where she said that eighty percent of the food we eat comes from small farms. Either we have a small farm future, or we face collapse and extinction. So, is this kind of the point where we're at? I mean, many people do think, you know, how can we feed the world with small farms? But, but obviously. Um, you know, this is we're we're in a dire situation here. So, so Chris, what's your your prognosis for the world and for people regarding small farms? The whole way that we've gone about um, de developing our economies um, in in recent times, um, you know, has been about getting people out of agriculture. It's been about growing the economy monetarily. You know, the economy has grown sort of five or sixfold globally over the last fifty odd years. It's very, very unlikely, it seems to me, that we'll be able to grow the economy five or sixfold over the next 50 odd years. So all of this stuff kind of goes back in, in you know, in, in the mixer and, you know, a lot of social tensions that we're seeing in a, in a lot of countries, you know, a lot of dissatisfaction with the, um, uh, the, the sort of world that's around us is very, very high energy urban um, kind of cultures that we've developed. So all of that, I think, um, spells a time of crisis um, and transition and change. Um, you know, those changes, you know, they can they could be pretty traumatic. They could involve, uh, you know, a lot of turbulence and chaos and violence. But hopefully, um, you know, if we get it right, um, it could involve, um, you know, a, a better way of life for a lot of people. Um, but I think that is going to involve a less energy intensive, less urban um way of life uh, and, and one that's kind of got less you know less easy energy less easy money around it's going to involve people kind of looking to their resources within their communities um social resources but also the you know the soils um the land the trees the gardens um the water and um you know trying to chart a, a kind of different way of living and that's kind of what i'm trying to drive at in the book Hmm. We do seem to be at this tipping point, and so there's so much going on in in your book, and I want to get it got, get more into some of the the crises that you that you bring up. But you know, it almost it almost feels, Chris, and I don't know if you agree with this, that it's sort of like this illusion of choice. Like it, it almost feels as though we don't we don't really have a choice. We're, we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to make these changes because. You know, we're already we're already seeing breakdowns and disruptions and yeah, yeah, crises, crises after crises. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, you get the line of argument that you know we've got this, we've got the technology. You know, we've got nuclear power or you know PV panels or wind turbines. You know, GM crops. You know, um, and you know, there's a whole. You know, we can talk about this all day, really. You know, part of. Um, you know, the one part of this is, you know, can we really can we really transition um, to those technologies in time in a sort of low energy um, way? Also, you know, what 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 are the kind of social dynamics around those technologies? You know, who's controlling the technology? Who's going to have access? Um, 
you know we're looking at a world where um you know that the, the, there are sort of enormous global inequalities and a, a sort of a very large number of people in um you know in, in in sort of impoverished urban and and rural situations uh you know who are not necessarily going to benefit from that and who potentially are sort of going to be on the move you know in, in in the context of climate change and so on so yeah you know i think we are facing crisis after crisis you know we're seeing that um you know over in north america obviously last year you had a whole bunch of um different of extreme weather related events and you know and all of these things kind of interact in complex ways with each other that you know this is going to be um you know this is going to be the challenge going forward and i think you know we've got to basically um you know we need to cut our fossil energy use we need to um get used to not having cheap energy and cheap money to throw at all these problems and so you know we do need to look at our communities and look at our resources to see um you know how we can find a different path and and where where do you think chris that we start i'm just thinking you know with, with you know you lay out all these sort of immediate crises and then you get to the sort of the deeper underlying problems which is which to me is really really interesting but when you look at all these crises going on in in the immediate in the immediate term um with water and soil and you know climate change and all this stuff you know for someone feeling overwhelmed with all this i mean where 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 do we start right well it's a good question and it's a difficult one to answer i mean i think you know we're starting from a low base where you know most people um you know have really been removed from agriculture and from any real connection with the kind of physical biophysical world that that sustains us so i think that's the first place to start is you know wherever you are whatever situation you're in you know even if you're living you know 10 floors up uh you know in, in in a kind of urban um apartment building the first place to start is you know starting to try and take a little bit of responsibility for uh food and energy production even if that's just you know growing a few herbs on a windowsill you know in, in my book that makes you a farmer you know <laughs> i think we've got to break down this kind of distinction between you know this image of a farmer as sort of someone and the on the prairies you know in a big tractor on thousands and thousands of acres you know we've all got to start taking responsibility for the food and farming system so the first place to start is you know where am i living where does my food come from you know where does my energy come from is that that sustainable if not what do i do about that you know who do i you know how can i talk to other people in my community you know how can we start working on this how if i'm not going to be a farmer myself how can i su support other people who are and who can farm more renewably so i think it you know it starts by asking questions getting interested and and sort of interacting with your community to to sort of form um basically a new conversation around food and farming you know that's what we need that's great and and chris what do you see as sort of the the deeper underlying problems underneath all of these sort of immediate, um, sh you know, the, these, so, so we have all these issues going on with the environment and, and different things like that. Um, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot going on, but, um, what do you see sort of the un underlying all of these different problems? I mean, you know, one of, you know, I, I suppose ultimately I think it's a kind of cultural or almost a sort of spiritual problem, you know, in, 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 in terms of, you know what sort of life do we want to lead you know how do we want to relate to each other and and to the, the the natural world around us but i guess it's been driven over you know the the medium term over the last few hundred years 
by a few different things. Um, I mean, fossil energy is one thing. You know, it's um, it's so you know it's so abundant, so cheap, or it has been, and so powerful that um, you know it now is possible to you know ship some lettuces, say, from the other side of the world and sell them. You know, here where I am in the UK or where you are in the states. You know, basically wherever it's cheapest to produce things in the world. You know, transport costs have become virtually negligible as a result of fossil fuels. And that, um, you know, people will say that's a good thing. Maybe it has some good aspects, but it it kind of tends to denature and, and scramble um, local possibilities for engaging um, with the world and engaging with our food systems. And of course it has, um, you know, huge negatives in terms of climate change. So, you know, uh, cheap fossil energy is one thing. I think, as I talk about in the book, um, you know, our commodity crops, you know, uh, wheat, corn, rice, um, um, soy and so on, you know, they've really sort of taken over the world essentially because they're great crops. You know, they, they, they do uh, great things for us, but it's possible to have too much of a good thing. You know, <laughs> something like, um, uh, you know, the, I forget the exact figure, something like 70 percent of global cropland is devoted just to, to just 10 um, crops, most of which are cereal crops. Um, and, you know, when you go into the supermarket, most of what you buy is um, kind of food that's more or less processed on the basis of those 10 crops, you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, and these are crops that, you know, we grow on very big scales, very mechanized, cheap to produce. But again, it kind of scrambles the local possibilities. You know, we're not growing enough uh, fresh fruit and veg. Um, you know, those are, are sort of labor intensive in rich countries like the US or the UK. Um, uh, you, you know, labor is very dear and energy is very cheap. So we tend to import fresh fruit and veg from, from other countries. And again, we, we, you know, that that means that we're not sort of the economic incentives um, are, are, are all a bit wrong. You know, we've got into this idea of very cheap food um, and real estate prices, land prices, a sort of hike through the roof and that's probably the third component of this is um the way that we deal with money the way that um that we accumulate capital um that makes it very difficult for most people to access um cheap and affordable housing and and also cheap and affordable farmland so um you know the farming sector has got very, very concentrated people are paying huge amounts of money just to get a roof over their head and the result of that is that they need very cheap food, but that food, uh, you know, isn't being produced at its real cost of production in terms of issues like the climate, soil loss, water issues, and all of those kind of um, economic scramblings that I've been talking about. So, you know, I think those have been the sort of the, the, the immediate driving factors underlying that is a question, you know, what is life about? You know, how do we, you know, how do we want to, uh, how do we want to live our lives? How do we want to relate to each other and to the natural world? And I think we've sort of we've we've kind of gone down this um, uh, you know this this one way sort of dead end street, as it were, which you know has has seemed has seemed prosperous and productive to us at the time, but it's landed us with this whole bunch of problems that are now pretty hard for us to unpick. Oh yeah, that's well. So well said, um, Chris. I mean, do you think do you think there is? You kind of said it before, but I mean, is there is there a spiritual crisis you think at the heart of a lot of this, and just how we, like you said, how we view nature, and uh, you know, is something to be exploited and 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 used as opposed to, you know, living in harmony with it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, 
um, I mean, I'm not, um, it's interesting as a result of writing the book, it's drawn me into sort of interesting discussions with people, you know, um, people of religion and spiritual people that it's not, hasn't really been my background, but it's interesting how much of a sort of common theme we have. And yeah, for sure, we need to think of ourselves as, as part of the natural world. And, uh, you know, in Aldo Leopold's uh, famous phrase, we're plain members and citizens of the biotic community, you know, we're not you know we're not the 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 dominance um so yeah i mean it it, it it is a spiritual problem and i think um uh you know in in many ways it's um we've got into this mindset that our technology or our money can sort of buy us out of these um of these natural binds that we've got ourselves into but they can't necessarily and you know at the same time there's a lot of misery you know this sort of thing increasing issues with um you know mental health issues addiction um you know crime and violence you know there's there's a lot of you know we people often tend to talk up the positive sides of of, of sort of modern civilization but you know there's also negative sides and people looking for more engagement with the natural world and more you know more meaning in terms of creating um a livelihood and that you know ultimately is i think what you know what we need to start looking to do Absolutely. Chris, I mean, from a, from a firsthand standpoint, how, how would you say you've changed just from, you know, the world of academia to the farm? I mean, how have, how have you changed, do you see, over these 20 years or so, living in, you know, communion with nature and close to the land and all that? H have you seen it change you and your wife? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's been an interesting journey i mean I, I suppose one thing uh you know when uh, you know humans you know we're very much wrapped up in our words and our stories and it's all and 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 our sort of myths you know which is great i mean i love that um but it's kind of easy to mislead ourselves with them and to write a beautiful story and to write ourselves you know make ourselves the heroes of a of a beautiful story so you know one of the interesting things about farming i suppose is that you know nature doesn't always play to our tune you know you can sow a load of seeds and uh come along the next day and find that the mice have eaten them all you know and you can't sort of um you know you can't write a beautiful story about that well you can but the seeds are still not there you know <laughs> so it's a it's kind of like you you know you, you you're sort of confronted with a world that isn't necessarily dancing to your tune and i think that's quite a powerful thing and but you know inevitably in the farming world um particularly in the sort of um, the, 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 the so-called alternative farming world, you know, people are pioneering things, doing all sorts of really interesting things, but again, sometimes get a bit too wrapped up in their own stories. And it's like, you know, this is the solution, you know, if you do X, then, you know, then you'll get the answer Y. And I, I suppose the experience of doing it over the years has made me kind of more skeptical about anyone who claims to know all the answers. Uh, I mean, I, I don't claim to be a brilliant farmer myself, you know, I've sort of, come to it late and you know it's not something I've, I've grown up with um you know um but i've certainly learned quite a bit over the years but i, I think it's um you know that that's uh, and you see that with a lot of farmers actually you know <laughs> that kind of slight skepticism about you know people with their fancy ideas you know um uh, i think you know you, you you sort of being grounded in um you know in a natural world that you know kind of has its own agenda to sort of you know is is um is, is quite an eye-opener in many ways so Chris, I'm just wondering, are, are you, are you hopeful? Are you optimistic that humanity is going to figure this out? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I know you've, you've, you've gone to the farm and the small farm, the small farm future, but do you think, 
you know, I'm just curious how how optimistic or hopeful are you right. about the rest of humanity? <laughs> well, I always like I always like to make a distinction between those two words that you, that you've used. I would say that I'm hopeful, but I'm not optimistic. And and maybe wow. the way I would try and explain that is, you know, I think optimism can be a little bit sort of um, without substance. You know, you can just sort of you know, it's like if you're if, if someone has tied you to the railway track and uh, you see the train coming around the corner, you could say, well, you know, I'm feeling optimistic. And my answer is like, well, why? You know, <laughs> but you can still be hopeful. You can hope that somehow or other the train isn't going to run you over. And I think I think humans need hope. You know, I think if we if we say, uh, you know, what's the point? We're all doomed. Um, you know, that that is a real you know, that, that there's nothing good about that. It's just a sort of sit in your room being despairing and there's no you know there are there are reasons not to be despairing you know as we've been talking about throughout this there's all sorts of things that we can do all sorts of ways of engaging with each other and with the natural world but i'm not optimistic in the sense that you know i think uh, we are confronting a lot of real big crunchy problems to which there are no obvious solutions on the basis of the way that we've been doing things up to now so you know, I, I, I don't think false optimism is, is, is a good way to go about things. And, you know, I don't think we should just sort of say, oh, well, you know, someone's bound to work it out. You know, we've got the technology you know, now. You know, I think we've got to step up ourselves as individuals and within our communities and say, well, you know, we are facing some really, really serious problems. But, you know, there is always grounds for hope. Mm. Absolutely. Um Chris, what are some of the daily practices that you have that make you feel the most alive? That's a that's an interesting one. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, recently writing the book, I've I've sort of got a little bit too uh, trapped in the study, and um, you know, it's back to that kind of writing stories thing, which you know sort of makes me feel alive. But um, I mean, it's been great to see the the the, the sort of nature and wildlife that's. Um, flourished on our farm over the years that we've been here and we've sort of diversified um, um, the landscape you know we've got a lot of trees here we've got a lot of relatively un, um, intensively managed grassland and just seeing you know the birds the insects you know you you kind of walk to our land across a, a, a fairly sterile big arable field um, from the local town uh, uh, on, on a summer's day and then when you you sort of step into our land in amongst the trees, you know, the wind dies and suddenly you hear the birds singing and the, the insects buzzing. And that really makes me feel alive. Um, and also, you know, physical work. I mean, it's kind of strange the way that, um, you know, so many of us spend our time in, in, in um, you know, uh, stuck to the desk or the computer. Uh, and then we go to the gym and sort of run on all these kind of strange machines as opposed to, actually you know being out um you know on the land with a you know whatever tool it might be a a, a spade uh, you know a lot of people are not that into digging in agriculture these days but you know just um getting some exercise being outdoors experiencing um you know the seasons and the weather you know all of those things um i think people need that and certainly it's it's made me feel more alive in the years that we've been doing this mm. if Chris, if someone listening to this is feeling a little powerless, what, and they were with you, maybe with you on your farm, what might you tell them? 
that's a good one. I mean, I guess I would. Well, I, I don't think I'd tell them anything. I'd, I'd, I'd just hope that they would um, um, just enjoy being here and and sort of tune in a bit. And that's you know, we have that here. We've got a little educational co-op that runs here with kids who are kind of getting into trouble at school and feeling um, sort of hopeless. And they come out here, and you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't know they were the kind of kids that were getting into trouble. They're just running around in the woods and you know, and, and sort of having fun. So I suppose I would, I, I guess I wouldn't tell someone to do anything. I would hope that they would come here, that they would meet a lot of people. You know, there's always people on our site, you know, unlike a lot of big modern farms where, you know, one poor guy in a tractor and nobody for miles around. So I'd hope that someone would come here and just say, hey, you know, there's there's things growing here. There's wildlife, there's people, people to talk to, things to do. Um, you know, this is... Um, this is a kind of interesting place to be. And, you know, these are the kind of places that we need more of. Absolutely. Chris, in your eyes, what does it mean to be human? And this, some of these questions I ask most of the people on the show. So, just, <laughs> but, um, but in your eyes, what does it mean to be human in 2021? I mean, I think, you know, there's the old sort of uh, the old eco phrase, um, thinking global and acting local. I mean, I think, I think what it means to be human is is to kind of really you know focus down on our on our localities and uh, the people around us and the the wild things around us, but also to connect to you know we know that you know we're in this huge diverse world and there's so many problems um, you know that uh, that we are part of and and can be part of the solution, but we're you know we're connected with basically everybody else in the world. So and I think we need to kind of keep that in mind you know i mean i sort of make the case for for local solutions all the time but that you know what that, that mustn't be is a kind of drawing boundaries and and you know trying to keep other people away you know it's it's kind of being human um you know interacting with real people locally to to achieve local solutions but doing it with an awareness that you know there's billions of other people all around the world um you know who we can connect with and who are you know doing the same thing um, so a kind of, you know, I, I guess big and little canvases, I suppose, would be my definition of being human right now. Mm. And if you had the opportunity to travel back in time, I know these, some of these questions, <laughs> if you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 40 years or so, what words of wisdom would your current self share with your younger self? Um, with my own self? Um I think, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a funny one. I think, I suppose it would be, you know, I sort of, my younger self went down this very kind of academic route and that's kind of the way our education system works. And, you know, we're very much taught in abstractions. Um, and, you know, I think there's a place for that. Um, but in some ways, I think we sort of get it slightly the wrong way around where, you know, when we're young, we do these sort of college courses, which, you know, is very, very sort of, abstract knowledge and learning and, and I think I would have probably say to myself you know you, that there's you know there'll be time later on for abstraction but you know uh, immerse yourself in the world immerse yourself in in nature and wildlife and and you know other sorts of um, communities of, of people um, you know that, that I think we sort of yeah we, we've got into this kind of too narrow a, a mindset about you know what it means to sort of get a good job and get a house and earn some money and you know all of this is 
it doesn't necessarily make people happy and it's not necessarily you know it's not really going to answer the the, the the problems that we've been talking about so i suppose my my message would be you know open yourself up a bit mm, that's great chris is there any any final message that you want to leave the listeners with regarding your your great book a small farm future um anything that you'd want them to take away maybe people that haven't been exposed to you know aren't exposed maybe so much to nature I mean, I think just to um, kind of like I was saying earlier, we're all farmers, you know, we've got into this, um, this, this way of, of being where, you know, most people are really not connected with the food and farming system. But, you know, every, everything is, uh, you know, <laughs> I guess my religious message is that everything is connected to everything else in sort of very complicated ways that I don't fully understand. So, you know, if you start with food and farming, you know, we've been talking about energy, housing, money, spiritual issues, you know, so all of these things connect up. So, um, you know, my, my suggestion is just to sort of, you know, to, to, to kind of think about the connections um, in the world around us, but to be aware that the land, um, the food and the water, the, the, the animals, the wildlife and the domesticated um, plants and animals, you know, they're absolutely critical to our continued well-being. And, you know, we need to take care of that. Um, so, we, you know, we need to look very hard at that because we're not doing a great job of it right now. Mm. And one thing that is just so abundantly clear in your in your um, in, in your book, again, this is just such a critical time in history. Right. That people, I mean, right now is really like a big, it's a big point in history. There's so much going on. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, no, it is because, you know, the way that we've been doing things over the last 50, 100 years is, you know, is not going to be the way that we're doing them in 50 or 100 years time. So, you know, now is the moment to sort of, um, you know, um, grasp the nettle, maybe literally. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> You know, um, and, and, you know, we can try, we can make, you know, we can create better outcomes out of that. But if we don't, you know, there are some pretty bad, pretty somber outcomes in prospect. So, you know, now is the time to, um, you know, to try and to work towards the better ones. Absolutely. Now is the time. And we'll link up so people can check out your book and, and read it and, and hopefully get inspired. Right. Um, Chris, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.